0: We welcome you to the Syracuse Basketball Podcast, Bobby Manning, James Zuba. Hopefully you know us by this point in the season, because there's three games left. There's not much more to talk about. (laughs) But we're going to squeeze that content machine and grind out an episode late in this week. And James, it's always a great time of the year, where I feel like the Syracuse Orange are pretty much done, dead in the water. Last episode, we pretty much wrote their obituary after the losses to NC State, Florida State, and Louisville. And they come out with a real quality win against Georgia Tech. Uh, one Jim Bayheim called their best half of the year in that second half. And against Pittsburgh, I, I didn't get to see the game live on Wednesday. And you know me, I always say I'm going to go back sport. and watch without knowing the score. But I look at the Pittsburgh score, 72-49, and it's one of those where... I I'm just stunned. I'm like, whoa! They played that good. The defense was that active, and then I go back and the the film's even more jarring. Baramus Dibay's leading the offense for stretches. Bryson Godine four assists, zero turnovers. Woo! <laughs> that was a game full of unexpected developments. But all of them, the Orange will take, even as the year starts to wind down and their tournament chances slim because none of these are particularly impressive victories. Uh, Georgia Tech is a team that is trending in the wrong direction in Pittsburgh, one of the worst offenses in all of college basketball, so I'm not ranting and raving about the defense. It just shows the Syracuse team, in my estimation, not able to compete with the top-level talent in this conf- in this conference, but when you look at them compared to the bottom half especially, and even teams on their tier, they can go out there and beat those teams, and at their best, they might be the fifth best team in the ACC for what it's worth.
1: Well, first of all, first things first. Uh, I'm just loyal on your behalf for not watching the game last night. Uh, <laughs> that's that's on you. <laughs> uh, yeah, second half against Georgia Tech. I mean, I think it was one. All um you know came out with their hair on fire they looked dead in the water in the first half come back and you know end up winning that one and then you know last night at pittsburgh yeah who, who would have thought brahma at ebay would have had the game that he did uh i don't know if he has a proclivity to play in the peterson event center because he's had two out of his three best games in a syracuse uniform have been pet <laughs> pit on the road um and you know, just a, a numerous, you know, a lot of takeaways from last night's game. Uh, obviously, Buddy goes down with the ankle injury. He didn't return in the game. Actually, I just saw Matt Park tweeted that um, ankle injury sounds a little bit worse than than we originally thought. Um, you know, he just said Buddy's going to be a game time decision. Talking with Jim Beheim, said he he could not have returned in last night's game, despite what was reported. Um, and we'll, we'll see, you know, he's going to be a game time decision Saturday against UNC. We'll, we'll get into preview on the UNC game and all that. But, um, yeah, certainly, um, you know, as you talked about, Pittsburgh, not, not a great offense. Um, you know, they're, they're not really equipped to, to compete against Syracuse on that side of the ball. Um, they do get after it a little bit defensively. They didn't show that last night. Um, and, you know, Elijah Hughes goes out and does Elijah Hughes-like things, puts up a lot of points, 25 points. Um, you know, filling up, filling out the stat sheet with with rebounds and assists, and uh, you know, o- overall, just a really good game for Syracuse, especially without their second leading scorer.
0: We have the questions flowing in live as we record here, and one of them's intriguing. I'm actually going to adjust it a little bit for my own benefit. If Buddy doesn't play on Saturday, does Q still have a chance to win against UNC? I'm going to shift this to. We're getting right into the Qs, man. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to shift this for into. What's it say about Syracuse, this team in particular, that two of the last four games, they go out, they get a victory, they play probably the best team in the ACC from what we've seen so far this season in Florida State, play pretty well and probably should have won that game with Buddy Bayheim scoring zero points combined between those two games?
1: Uh, what does it say? Absolutely nothing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that you can you can draw too many conclusions out of it. But uh, for this for the sake of conversation, I mean, yeah, but but he's really struggled, you know, over the last really over the month of February. I mean, you know, he kind of struggled beginning in the Duke game a little bit. um, And that's really carried on through through the rest of the month. But, you know, for for his replacement, you know, starting there, I mean, Bryson played really good last night. Um, I know know you didn't watch the game, but, you know, he he looked really aggressive for probably uh, the first time since the, the Italy trip last summer. You know, he was seeking his shot. Um, he had you know five five straight points at one stretch. The one, one stretch was probably his best stretch that he's he's had all year. Where, you know, he comes out he's he's about at the foul line and Gerald Gerald Grimm rule, um of Pitt he's open at the top of the key and Bryson actually stretches it gets the block goes down and then knocks a three down on the other end and then the next play he comes down knocks out a pull up two. And then, you know, he, did, he didn't make a shot from after that, but he was hunting his own shot, you know, looking for his own shot. So we, we hadn't seen that out of him all year. Um, but, you know, I mean, I guess it does it does, it does uh, show the resiliency and the fight in this team. Uh, we know they're not the most talented team, but the, the effort's been there. And I think you'll take that uh, if you're a Syracuse fan. It's, it's better than the other way around where, you know, you have all the talent in the world, but the effort's not there. I think you'd rather have. Less talent, but you know that the effort's there. And, you know, it obviously helps when you got got guys like Barambo step up over the last two and, you know, you get contributions from guys who don't normally contribute. I
0: don't know to what extent the Godine minutes have helped them over the last month or so because he has been playing just about every game, going back about six, seven games now, and they've broken up those high minutes as he started to struggle. And he's a guy that Kevin, myself, others have pointed at defensively and said – He gives you a ton of offense, but when you look at the numbers, that offense is only just creeping ahead of what he gives up on defense. Now that they've been able to break this up a little bit, even if they're not getting a ton out of Gadan until yesterday, I think it's shown to be effective to shift guards in and out a little bit, even though they don't have a lot to work with there. Get him a rest for a few minutes. <laughs> I know that was a big topic last week and one that Coach himself does not believe in all that much. I don't want to get too deep into that again. But <laughs> I, I, I think it's interesting that we watch these other teams around college basketball, especially that Kansas Baylor game last weekend and as a bookie. They 90 seconds before the media timeout, they get him out of the game, get him that breather. And it works immensely well for their rotations, and they get a ginormous win against the number one team in the league. Not quite what Beheim's doing with his son, but the break in the guard rotation there does seem to be helping them a little bit, at least from a you know, rotation standpoint. And defensively, I think Godine gives them just a little bit more than what Buddy... Is able to give them out there
1: he does and even you know with howard washington coming in uh he was the first off the bench with garrier uh we've seen that we've seen Beheim kind of go with with howard you know in the first half to get uh, get the starters the, the well, at least the guards anyway the starters that guard some some extra time and then in the second half he'll come in with goodine but he, even when howard comes in i mean you notice the ball moves a lot quicker with him out there and you know i mean he's He's definitely like the, the true definition of a point guard. He found Elijah on the lob. Um, Elijah, you know, it's the first time I, I think I can recall Elijah getting a lob in the half court. Um, that was coming off of Howard. So, I mean, those guys, you know, they're not going to go out. They're not going to score a ton of points for you. They're not going to be able to do what Buddy and Joe do night in and night out. But I, I think they can give you serviceable minutes, and they've, they've done that. Um, how, how much the the early run in the season is helping them at this point. You know, I'm not sure. You know, maybe they can come out and do that if they're getting it. Like in in the case of Bryson, you know, last night, you know, maybe if he doesn't play, you know, two minutes against, you know, Wake Forest earlier in the year, like maybe he does go out and get five points last night against Pitt. I don't know. That's that's hard to say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I think with Howard and Bryson out there, they're they're at least capable of going out there and playing well for you. For you know, and, and each guy kind of brings their own skill set to the to the floor.
0: I hate to do this. Should I do this?
1: <laughs> I don't know. What are you, you going to do?
0: Opponents are shooting 12 for 43 against Bryson Godine this year. That's 28%. All right. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Should we throw that in the trash can? I don't want to be bullied out of that. But
1: <laughs> uh, Then we got we got to talk about how we don't know how, how synergy is defining everything, and then we got to go through the scenario where we say, well, it could be You know, it could be because of him or it could be just be, you know, guys are maybe just missing Chow. We could go through that. But, yeah, I'd I'd rather not go down that rabbit hole, even though we've already pretty much gone down there. All
0: right. (laughs) We'll go to this one then. This is interesting. Syracuse goes from 59 to 51 in Ken Palm after that win. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever Pittsburgh was worth, Ken Palm seemed to like it. They passed Mississippi State, NC State, Richmond, Washington, Wink Wink, Notre Dame, Georgetown. These are some legitimate bubble teams. Yeah. Uh, USC even. Yeah. Decent 19-9 team out there in the Pac-12, which has been a better conference this year. Yeah. What what do we take from that? I, is, is it the offense continuing to thrive? Is it just a one-off defensive performance where they were able to hold Pittsburgh to 49 and that just drastically swayed their defense?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, I think you just hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, when you hold a team to forty nine points, um, and you have that big of a margin of victory, that's going to bring you up a little bit. Um, you know, we saw before the before the Pittsburgh game. I think Syracuse was like one hundred and twenty three, maybe in adjusted defensive efficiency. Uh, now up to one ten after that game. So that that's going to bring them up. Uh, you know, pretty good, pretty good offensive game. You know, seventy two points doesn't really look. look You know, it doesn't really look that great on paper. But uh, when you have that big of a margin, it definitely helps the numbers there. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, up to to 59 in the net as well. Um, That was a quadrant two win for Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think that, but there is an extra emphasis placed on road games. You know, Pittsburgh uh, was, I think there were 99 as of last night, they're 108 as of today. We're recording this Thursday night. Yeah,
0: and le- and let's make no mistake, Beheim said this too. We look at them today and say, oh, what a stinky team. They're awful. But they gave Syracuse a run in the home version of that game. And they actually looked very good toward the second half of that game. Uh, Champagne yeah. in particular, 17 rebounds, all the putbacks he had in this one. He was the only guy who really showed up for Pittsburgh. But he's an excellent player, a matchup nightmare for Cuse and and the Orange played such a nice game in withstanding Bayheim's loss, using Gadan and involving him, no less. He wasn't just standing out there the way he was Wake Forest and getting that puck back at the end of the game and involving Sidibe the way they did. Like, stunning, awesome, probably just one game in 29 or whatever they're going to play this year, 34. Still awesome to watch. So many weird developments in this game. But we've seen so many awful losses this year. It's nice to have one that's weird, wacky, and a great result.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if if you count the game starting from the start of the new year, in other words, not, not the Georgia Tech win, that's probably Syracuse's biggest, you know, in terms of margin of victory, um, win of the year in the ACC. Uh, I think the the bc game a little bit earlier in the year that was a little bit of a blowout but to see syracuse go on the road like that and blow the hinges off an opponent was a little bit stunning Uh, i don't really think anybody saw that coming especially because what ken pom predicted a a pittsburgh win uh it was a one point i think it was 70 to 69 was was the prediction yeah vegas fine was accused by one one my favorite so i don't think anybody really foresaw that um, Pittsburgh, you know, they, they might've had their, their spirits dampened a little bit towards the end of the stretch. They've, they've lost some games. They've, you know, they've tacked on a few losses here. Uh, you know, that was their fifth straight loss. So it's, it's tough to play through that if you're any team, but, uh, you know, on the other side, you know, Syracuse, I mean, coming down the stretch here, we know they need these wins. Uh, they played really hard and it was, it was interesting to see them get that, that win in such a big way, especially without their second leading score.
0: So Barama,
1: <laughs> the Barama City- <laughs>
0: Amen. Will we give him five minutes here? He deserves definitely more minutes than he's gotten on the show all season <laughs> because I'm not quite sure what we're going to see what he gave them in this victory. It started early, it started often them looking for him. Hughes lobbing a full court pass to him in transition was yep. startling and effective. He does the twist underneath, freezes right hand, and finishes down there. And it reminded me as I was writing the piece about him this morning that when they find him underneath, he scores. Uh, He's either getting fouled and going to the free throw line and he's shaky there, or he's finishing underneath. He doesn't miss many when he gets the ball down there and has position. He's got nice touch. His hands are good. And the only guy who's been looking for him for... Most of the season has been Marek Dolezal with the dumps on the drives and the high-low action and stuff like that. The guards don't look for him too often in the pick-and-roll. Bayheim doesn't emphasize him much, and he's talked about the fact that they can't be a team that has post-touches for whatever reason. But in this one, they go the complete opposite way. And they're feeding him again and again on the way to his best scoring night. And it highlighted just how efficient he's been down there. 70% from the field. You want it on the other end, which is what Beheim said too. And I fully agree with, like when they recruited him, this guy was a shot blocker and they've needed him to be that rim protector that he hasn't this year. And he goes down and blocks four shots and steals five passes in this one too. But nonetheless highlights how they could get a little bit more offense from him. And even if it's just two to four more points, I think that's significant. I actually mentioned that yeah. last week.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if he's going out, you know, four or six points per game more than what he's doing, I mean, that can go a long way. Uh, that could be the, the differential in a lot of these games that Syracuse has played in. Uh, and in fairness, you know, some of these buckets, you know, the guys guys were looking for him yesterday, Elijah, you know, throwing the full-court pass to him, uh, as you mentioned, but some of these are coming off put, putbacks too. You know, his first bucket of the game was off of Joe Girard missed three. You know, he gets the, the offensive tip in. And that's what he's got to do. That's that's how he's got to look to get his points when he's not getting the ball down low. Is you know, kind of kind of be uh, take a page out of Quincy Garrier's book and hit the offensive glass and get the putback. Uh, he he can do that in games like like Pittsburgh. You know, you're not necessarily facing the Bruisers down there that you're going to face like when you go up against North Carolina this upcoming weekend. So that's that's a good way for him to get on the board. And to your point, yeah, when he's when he's gotten post position. Um, he's gotten it along the baseline. He's he's got some moves around there. He works the angle. He he's got the reverse down a little bit. Um, you know he's he's got some semblance of post moves down there. So it's not like he's he's not able to do that. And he is athletic down there. Uh, I think Barama. With the case with him is he, he's a better player than what he's shown out on the court earlier this season. And in the last two games, that's really shown. And um, you know I think if he can he can build on that and go forward. Uh, it starts really with this weekend. He's got to, he's going to have a tough tough matchup with Armando Baycock, Garrison Brooks down low. Those guys are going to be banging with him. But if he can continue to build momentum, that's a big lift for Syracuse.
0: He he's gotten so much of the blame for them this year. And I'll say this about him: what's inspiring is you've seen through the Italy stretch, the non-conference games like Colgate and even Pittsburgh, who's one of the lower lower rung teams in the ACC. This guy could have gone to a smaller school and dominated and had an overwhelming career in a smaller conference, but he chose to compete at a higher level. Um, he's definitely not starting material in the ACC. Uh, we saw that Pascal Chuku had a more effective career than what he's had, and the injury factors in there too, and how that impacted his first two seasons. Mm-hmm. But but he comes, he takes the criticism, and he receives a ton of it on the sideline. He he takes it game by game, as he talks about, he shakes off the struggles that he has extremely easily, and it's inspiring to me because this guy has not had an easy time. He's gotten a lot of crap from the fan base. And he comes out and has a great performance like this to cap the year. And he continues to try. The effort's definitely there on the interior. I I hate to minimize the impact that his struggles have had on this team because if they have anything in there, the season goes much differently. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I do want to give a guy a little bit of credit for staying consistent and working to at least give them some semblance on the offensive end, even if he's not there defensively.
1: No doubt. And he's continued to fight and work through it. And, you know, the biggest thing we know with Barama has been the fouls all year. Right. And it's it'd, it'd be interesting to see what his production would be if he wasn't fouling out in all these games or at least getting into foul trouble. Um, it was kind of the similar situation at Pittsburgh. You know, as impressive as a night as he had, he picked up two quick ones in the beginning of the second half. Right, and then he's up to four fouls, and then he's got to sit. He could have had a really great performance last night, and he did have a a very, very good performance. Don't get me wrong, but you know we're we're talking about you know 18 points, you know 16 rebounds. Like he could have he could have really put up those similar numbers that he did in his freshman year at Pitt. Um, But but obviously you know the the five steals and the four blocks that's it's very impressive as well. Um, Two two things I want to talk about though, Bobby, before we turn the page on Pittsburgh, one. Did you see Brendan Paul's three-pointer at the buzzer? And, two, did you see Jalen Carey, his post on Twitter to Goody after the game?
0: <laughs> You'll have to <laughs> fill me in on both.
1: All right. So so Syracuse, you know, 20-point lead late. Jim Beheim puts the walk-ons in, right? Jesse uh, I got out. the
0: video right in front of me right now. So while you explain it, I'm going to watch it.
1: <laughs> Brendan Paul gets it. He's got, like, two seconds left. He catches it on the three-point line. Looks down, makes sure he's behind the line, chucks up a shot, and it hits the bottom of the net. I just thought that was great, man. Like, just just the fact that the game's in hand. You know, Jim Beheim doesn't want him to shoot that shot, and he's out there, and he's like, "I'm gonna get mine, man. I'm going for my shot," and he buries it. I thought that was great. Yeah, uh, (laughs) it is. I love it and, and then, it's funny uh,
0: uh, the kid Mason who they signed to the team at the beginning of the year um, He was drawing up that play on the clipboard. That was the tweet you're talking about right or no That might be a different that, tweet.
1: that, that was from today. That was from today uh, Yeah, he had
0: 33 on the left side and 12 on the right side. I'm like 12 and yeah, it was Brendan Paul
1: <laughs> Love it. And then uh, Goody took a picture of Jalen Carey before the game even started yesterday and it's Jalen on the bench with the Pittsburgh Panther, the mascot. Goody, Goody puts up the caption, the Pit Panther and Syracuse guard Jalen Carey are discussing the 2-3 zone. And then Jalen, like, must must have gotten brought to his attention after the game. He comments on it. No, told him get ready for a L <laughs> 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 I love Jalen Carey, man. He's he's I don't know if you followed along, but his antics on the bench have been great. Uh, He's been interacting with like opposing fan bases on the road and stuff. And Virginia Tech earlier in the year, he was like waving at the fans as they were leaving. So, hey, man, I'm I'm all for it. We we know what Jalen, you know, he's been through to get to Syracuse and all those things. And obviously we all wish he was out there playing and contributing, but it's good to see him enjoy, uh, enjoy everything from the bench that he has this season.
0: It's a long year in the bench, and him and John are having fun with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, he's having... Nobody's having more fun than Bola Jack this year.
0: <laughs> John Bola Jack is the untold great story on this team because he hasn't been anywhere near the court, but he is constantly visible, and heard about from this team he just has everybody dying laughing all the time I I wonder what he's saying over there I talked to him at media day and haven't talked to him since I would just love to hear about why what makes this guy so funny and so infectious as a as a personality and it's going to be interesting if he can find a way to start playing for this team in the future he's going to become a very likable player of course depending on how he plays
1: (laughs) no doubt he'll he'll have his work cut out for him next year if, if Barama's back and you know Jesse ahead of him in rotation uh, we'll see what happens with Tepe, but uh, certainly a likable guy, and you know, a very, very fun personality from everything that we've seen so far.
0: Goody says tope gonna have his decision coming in the next three weeks, So we'll keep an eye out for that as well. That's gonna be a very important uh, decision toward next season.
1: Hey, but before we get into that, just keep an eye out on chance Westry. That's all I gotta say.
0: All right. Tell us more there.
1: we We got. Uh, I can't say too much, but I would just say keep an eye out on Chance Westry and and see what happens on the orange recruiting front there. That's all I can say.
0: All right. (laughs) We'll take that and roll with it. (laughs) So I do want to look around college basketball a little bit because, like I said, that Baylor-Kansas game was a great preview of March Madness, which is going to be coming up in under a month now. The ACC tournament is just a couple of weeks away, and we're already starting to form that bubble watch Bracketology, last four in. Right now, Oklahoma, USC, Providence, NC State would round out a five-team bracket for the ACC, which is more than we expected. Uh, Definitely makes you wonder what could have been if Syracuse could have grabbed that win against them and maybe grabbed one or two of those. That Virginia Tech loss became a Q3. It's going to be a lot of what-ifs from the season, but I and you I'd imagine are pretty resigned that the orange aren't going to be able to get back on that bubble, but it is interesting. You, you see some of these teams, Georgetown, not all that inspiring Mississippi state, UCLA, like these are some very middling teams that have a real chance of getting in this year. It's interesting to see Memphis down there too. What a year they had. What do you make of this bubble right now? And, Are there going to be some surprises on the back end of that NCAA tournament announcement when we get to it?
1: Oh, there are always surprises on the back end of the the NCAA tournament. I mean, I think back to 2017 when you you had Syracuse on the bubble as well as Wake. And, you know, Wake Wake was the team that actually ended up getting into the tournament. And Syracuse is on the outside looking in. But uh, there's always going to be surprises. But, yeah, to to your point, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of what-ifs for Syracuse this year. Um, but, you know, if, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, then, you know, Syracuse <laughs> would be sitting pretty, but they're not. Um, you know, I, you could go to the NC State game and say if Elijah doesn't get hurt and they, they get that win, then, you know, maybe Syracuse is sitting on the other side of this thing. Or, you know, if they close it out at Florida State, you know, what what does that do for their season? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I'm pretty resigned to them to them not getting in. I mean, I think... We can go to one of our questions as well. Uh, you know, what does what the win total look like for Syracuse to get into the tournament? Uh, well, I think they're going to have to win out these next three. And that's that's not necessarily an easy thing to do despite the competition. I mean, you got North Carolina at home, and then you got to go on the road for two games to close out the year. That's, that's not an easy thing. Um, but, you know, all right, let's just, you know, to play devil's advocate, let's say they win these next three and they're sitting at 19 and 12. Uh, you would get another quadrant two win with Miami, assuming they win that one. Uh, but, but I think you'd have to at least get to 21, uh, and that would mean you, know, you get a decent, a decent win over a, you know, a bottom ACC team. Maybe that's a quad two or a quad three win. Uh, and then you're going to get an opportunity to get a quad one win against a team like Virginia or Duke in the second round. And that would be the, the marquee win. If they were to get that and get to 21 wins, uh, maybe they lose that next one and they're 21 and 13 then maybe they're in the conversation. You know, it's probably going to take at least one more to feel any sort of of comfort around the bubble. Um, You know, and obviously we all know what what would happen if they went out, right? You know, they get the auto bid. But um, you're looking at, you know, Syracuse needing to win the next three and then at least two, at least two in the ACC tournament to be in that conversation.
0: That's a shattered dream of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Joe already
1: said on the, the ACC network last night that, He's, he's got a strong feeling he's going to be talking about Syracuse on the bubble one way or another. So,
0: And they will... have that reputation, right? And you know that's going to creep into it is the fact that, all right, here they are again, and that swings one way or the other. There's going to be some people who say, all right, if we let them in, there's going to be a decent chance of a run here. Other people are just sick of hearing about them when they don't have that strong of a case. Uh, so they're the six right now in the ACC tournament field. would yeah. be interesting to see they'd be facing the 11-14 winner there, which would currently be um, Virginia Tech versus Wake Forest. So you're looking at a pretty favorable matchup there. You'd think they're able to get it at least onto round three, where they'd be playing the three seed, which right now would be either Louisville or Duke. So you'll definitely have a chance at a marquee win there. It's just about whether on neutral site you could take one of those teams, and neither of those went very well. I'm imagining that Florida State's going to be that one seed. You know, maybe Cuse moves to the five spot over Notre Dame, and then you're talking about the four seed instead, which is Virginia. Like that's that's definitely more of a favorable route. So these last three games matter: UNC, BC, and Miami. Two of them being road games, I like that. The trap game Saturday, though, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Nothing to gain from this against the 4-13 and UNC team. It's one that's added Cole Anthony, beat NC State, who, as we just heard, already likes as a tournament team, and uh, you know, gave Notre Dame a run as well two games before that. They fought hard with Virginia. This is a much different team than what their record's shown. And we know just the pedigree, the coaching there is so much higher than what the numbers say about them so i am terrified of this one i'm always a big proponent that cues is a little bit worse at home than on the road and i'm just scared of that logo that team who knows maybe Qs wins by 20 i wouldn't be stunned because it's been that kind of year for unc but i am very very weary going into this one bc miami i think those two are washes this one is the big problem spot as we talk about winning out
1: yeah, and I think, you know, it, it would be really fun to look at this, this game and say who, who's going to hit the game winner for Syracuse against UNC because, you know, UNC is, is becoming known for getting a beat at the buzzer. You know, you think uh, the NCAA tournament lost to, to Villanova, right? But, but this year especially, uh, you know, you lose at Virginia Tech on a, a double overtime buzzer beater from Ty, Tyrese Radford. Uh, the Duke game, you know, Wendell Moore, Thomas to tensei virginia And then Nate Leshefsky at Notre Dame. That's a lot of heartbreak for this team this year. Um, So, I mean, they're they're way better. I mean, they'll sit at 11-17. They did beat NC State earlier in the week uh, on Tuesday. Uh, So they they ended their losing streak there. But as we know with North Carolina, always a tough matchup. Uh, I think John had a post at Noons earlier today. I'm just saying that Syracuse hasn't beaten North Carolina since the first year they joined the ACC back in 2014.
0: Yes, it's been a brutal matchup for them. That's a good point.
1: And it's always such a tough matchup for Syracuse because, one, you play the zone, and what does UNC do? When you think of UNC basketball, you think pushing the pace, and you think getting on the glass. And that's two things that can really hurt the zone. Uh, This year, obviously, we know not so great in either of those categories, but they still do bring in Armando Baycott. They still do bring in Garrison Brooks, so it's going to be tough. The Syracuse front court, and they're going to have to avoid foul trouble in this game. That's that's the biggest key for me in this game: is can the Bigs avoid foul trouble, and can they compete with the Bigs of North Carolina down low?
0: This is the first game between these two since that game in eighteen late February. Very similar type of matchup. Q's was fighting on the bubble that year. UNC, of course, was a powerhouse that season. Uh, was that the year they went to the championship? I'm trying to think against uh, um, Villanova. It was either that year or the one before or after, because that was the three-year run well, that they it, were going on there.
1: They made back-to-back Final Four. So North Carolina made the Final Four. They made the title game in 2016, right? And then 2017, they won it against uh, Gonzaga in the title game.
0: All right, so I'm, I'm a two years ahead of that. But nonetheless, pretty good team. Um, much more talent than the one we're talking about now. And that was an awesome game. Like that, the crowd was packed for that one. I'm interested to see what the crowd reaction for this one's going to be because this was probably a hot preseason ticket, and <laughs> ever since the tickets have been even given away on the street. When we talk about last Saturday against Georgia Tech, so I'm interested to see the matchup on the court as well as the atmosphere that's going to be uh, present at this one. I'm just very leery about the game in general because we do look at this. That's now eight straight losses against UNC. Um, we talk about that runner-up game in 2016. It hasn't gone well for them very often. And you talk about the matchup. You talk about some of the things that UNC does from a stylistic standpoint that make it difficult. This one shouldn't be hard if we just look at how these teams have played this year and how Cuse has beaten up on that lower runger competition. They haven't had a lot of trouble beating a team with a record like 4-13. and So it'll be interesting to see how those two different trends converge on this one.
1: No doubt. And, you know, going into the matchup, uh, we got John Wallace's Jersey retirement. So Syracuse fans, if you're going to the game, be on the lookout for that. Uh, John Wallace, obviously a legend, and uh, that should be a pretty big event. You know, I think, I think Donna DeTota had a Q&A up, up with him on Syracuse.com earlier in the week, and, you know, he had a lot of great things to say. But, um, yeah, as for the matchup, you know, we'll, we'll see what we get. Um, North Carolina a little bit better defensively than offensively this year. Um, a little bit challenged on the wings. You know, we know Cole, we know the, the point guard that he is and kind of the initiator, of the scorer, he is up top. And then the big's down low. Um, but really, you know, they lack scoring on the wing this year. They don't really have, like, that wing score that they're they're so used to having. Um, so, so we'll see what happens there. And then, you know, just, just for color, I just want to tease it a little bit. You know, we, we kind of – Ken Palm has kind of become the, the gospel this year, um, as it really has been really like the last two or three years for – Um, the greater college basketball community but the final three games and Ken Palm has been off with Syracuse this year but the final three games Ken Palm does predict Syracuse wins in all three so I'm just going to tease that I'm just going to throw that out there
0: that's probably what I'm going to go with too to be honest like BC BC's been a weird team this year but they just don't scare me in general and that first game plays into it the inconsistency plays into it and Miami's just been flat out bad this year you've you talked on that solo episode you did about some of the guard talent they have and stuff like that, but you know when Hughes is going on the road against a poor team, I expect them to take care of business. I know there's just a greater level of focus that they carry onto the road. The offense has been flowing better in those environments, so those two don't worry me nearly as much as Saturday does.
1: Saturday is the biggest one, I think, and you know the the road game to BC. I don't. BC's been tricky at home this year because you think back, you know, Duke had a tough game with them. Granted, it was kind of a game. Uh, in between the, the Syracuse game the previous Saturday at the Dome, right, and the next week they had the North Carolina game. So maybe that was like a trap game for them and they weren't taking B.C. seriously. But, you know, B.C. the other night, they, they almost beat North, um, Notre Dame, excuse me, uh, if not for a, a T.J. Gibbs floater that came at the buzzer, you know, they, they would have lost that game to B.C. So that could be a little bit tricky as well. But I do agree with you in that, you know, North Carolina is the big one. Uh, I think that's going to be a much closer contest than any of the other two. And I I watched a lot of Miami basketball for some reason. I I don't know.
0: (laughs) You've been a fan for a while,
1: man. You know, I I really like Chris likes, Um, you know, I like Jaquan Newton. They had him a couple of years ago. The guys that have come through Lonnie Walker and the like, Uh, but you know, this year they they just really don't have the front court. Their front court guys aren't anywhere near where they need to be. Uh, But they're really talented and deep at guard. They got Chris likes, uh, D.J. Vasilovic, he's he's gone through a shooting uh, slump this February, but uh, he's one of the better shooters in the ACC. And then you got guys like Cam Agusti, who transferred from Oklahoma, and a freshman Isaiah Wong, who's won ACC Freshman of the Week in back-to-back weeks. So uh, he's he's a talented guard. Be on the lookout for him. He's he's going to be a name for for Syracuse fans to watch in the ACC. You know, over the next few years, he's a really talented freshman guard out of Piscataway, New Jersey, nonetheless.
0: All right, UNC is four o'clock on Saturday. Interesting. I'm not going to be at the BC game on Tuesday. I was expecting to be. But... That. Come on, you <laughs> I was expecting to be, but it's BCQs, and I got offered a trip to Orlando. Where I can make use of that time by going to Magic Trailblazers, which we talk about Syracuse and the NBA. Been acquired a year on that front, but Michael Carter-Williams is averaging seven points a game for the Magic, who are going to be a playoff team. And the Mellow Farewell Tour continues, and if you look at his box scores with Portland, who has been a horrible team this year. I mean, watching Jason Tatum light him up was a sight to behold. But Mello, one night he's like 36, the next night he's like 1-12 with 5. And he's been flipping back and forth between those two kind of games all year long. But man, the fact that he wasn't going to be in the league this year and he's still out there dropping 30 points many nights is cool to see. And credit to Portland, who their fans have already been complaining and having a rough time this year you know one of the celtics announcers talked about the fact that you can sense in that environment up there they were a team that almost went to the finals last year now they're barely fighting for the eighth seed they can sense that this team isn't very good but they've given Melo the chance to go out and do his thing and I'm excited to go watch what will probably be uh, one of the last chances you'll get to see him in the NBA. So I'll be all over that. I'll probably write a little bit of story, a little story about Carter Williams and Melo hanging on one last year.
1: Hey, man, you, did you see him the other night against OKC?
0: <laughs> no, I did not.
1: He had the clutch bucket. I mean, up one, late, gets hit on the, the pick and pop. He's, and been, he's been doing been the same. He's still got it, man. He's still out there getting buckets a little bit more uh, erratic this year, uh, a little bit more volatile than we're used to with Melo. But he gets still out there. He can go off for 30, and we know he's still clutching the... It
0: yeah, is a blessing you know. to the league that we get to watch him because it was so. It was almost over. No one wanted to give this guy a chance to start this year.
1: The narrative completely changed. Completely flipped the script on the narrative Melo did.
0: So... We'll see that on Monday. Follow along for that. Follow along with Austin Lamb, who will be at the Dome for the last home game on Saturday. And then you can hear from us after UNC and BC next week. John and Dan get you after the UNC game. And uh, definitely subscribe to Troy Noons is an absolute podcast.
1: Subscribe. It's free. Um, I should be heading down to Miami for the last game of the year. Yes. Except... I don't know if I'll be able to get down with the coronavirus and everything that's going around. We'll see how that plays out. But uh, for right now, I'm planning on getting down and covering that. It should be the last game that I cover for the year. Unless Syracuse like makes the NIT and gets all the way to Madison Square Garden, then I'll cover those games. But
0: uh... yeah, we'll talk about that next week because we'll have more of a clear sense. But I'm not rooting against that uh, to be sure. That'd be fun because I think they'd have a real chance to win that tournament. I think this team would take it seriously, but not too much on that for now. For so volume manager James Zuba, we'll see you next week.